So I got a question before we start today's passage. As you can see, we're breaking down a shorter piece of scripture today. We're only gonna do three verses we're gonna break down, but I have a question for you. Have you ever disagreed with anyone? If you have, raise your hand. If you have, okay, put your hand down. If you haven't ever disagreed with anyone, raise your hand. Okay, liar, liar. It's not good to lie in church, okay? Disagreement's a part of life, right? How many say, like, okay, raise your hand on this one. The person that you disagree with most is right next to you. No, don't raise your hand. I'm just joking, I'm just joking, don't do that. (laughs) Disagreement's a part of life, and today we're gonna focus on the idea of unity uh, with the focus of unity in the church. Um, That what Paul is writing here in this passage is it's, it's a call to unity to some specific people, but remember this is a letter written to the church, uh, to the church at that time to be read in front of the church for them to learn and to grow from. So it's still the same for us today. And as we focus in on unity, we're gonna talk about some issues that are gonna be hard, some things that might stretch us, some things that might make us think or question something maybe inside of us or in the church. And my hope is that we leave today more unified or at least a pursuit of unity in our life. Let's read verse one here. It says in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Therefore is an important word here because therefore it's referring back to the promise, the hope of the gospel. Therefore, as, as I've been saying, Paul is saying, as I've been saying earlier in this letter, that we have the hope of Jesus. We have the hope of a resurrection. We have hope when we die, we won't stay dead, we'll spend eternity. Therefore, with that hope, with that hope, live this way, or I call you to this. It talks here about this idea of a crown. It says that when, from who I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Now the crown that's referenced here, there's two types of crowns referenced in scripture. There's a regal royal crown and then there's this crown. This was the crown given to like like at the time like a a sports achiever, one who's taken first place, one who's won the prize. Uh, This is an athletic achievement type of crown or like a hierarchy. You're better. You've done better. Like this is the crown it's talking about. So when he says that you are my crown, he's not speaking of a royal crown here. He's speaking of this. Paul is saying to the church that that you are my joy, that I love and I long for, and you are my achievement. You're the the crown that is put on me. The the Stephanos is what this crown is called. Stephanos. This, like I said, means exalted rank or a victor's prize. And it's interesting because the first time we see crown used with the Stephanos type of crown is in Matthew 27, 29, which says this. Matthew says that after wearing a crown, a Stephanos of thorns, they put, after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and the reed in his right hand. And they kneeled before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail the King of the Jews. The first time we hear in the New Testament of the Stephanos crown, this crown of achievement, is in the book of Matthew when they are mocking Jesus. When Jesus is on his way to the cross, they weave together a Stephanos made of thorns and they place it on Christ's head as a form of mocking him and his achievement. 
You know, I got so excited reading this because I, like I, I, I tell you all the time, I'm, I'm, I'm a visual and like when I read scripture, I try to put myself there. And I put myself in this moment when the people, the, the, the authorities are weaving the Stephanos, this achiever's crown together, and they're making it out of thorns, and they're putting it on Christ's head. And at that moment, they are mocking him for his lack of victory. You thought you were great. You thought you were a king. You thought you were this. You thought you were the Messiah. You said all these things and they weave this Stephanos and they put it on his head and then he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross and at that moment, the authorities and the people of the time who put him there are probably feeling victorious. Why I love this is because they mocked him with the crown of a victor and three days later he arose the victor of death. That, that he, he finished what he started. That what started with mocking and started with, with insults and everything, Jesus said, I'll take this crown. And at any moment could have called down angels from heaven and, and proven who he was, but he goes to the grave. Goes to the grave and conquers sin and death. And what Paul refers to here in this passage is this idea of the church, the church that he's speaking to in Philippians, the Philippian church being his achievement. Like we've, we've heard over and over again, Paul has a great heart for this church. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will receive the crown or the stephanos of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Like Paul saying the Philippians are his trophy, his crown, he says this with an idea of standing firm. If you put the passage back up, put the passage back up for me real quick. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Paul is calling the, Philippians church, the Philippian church to stand firm in the Lord. I think this is an important passage for us today, church, because oftentimes when we hear the word stand firm, we think stand firm in ourselves. That I need, to, I need to be strong and courageous. I need to stand my ground. This is not the standing firm alone and you standing firm isolated. This is a call to stand firm in the Lord. To stand firm with him, united with him. This is a call, this is a stand firm of dependence. Like, our idea of stand firm is I'm independent. No. Biblical standing firm is a complete dependence on our Savior. That, that, that I, I can't stand alone. The only way I can stand firm is when I'm linked to him and I'm holding on to him. I need him. That's how we stand firm. It's, it's a call to stand firm in faith. It's not that, that I can do things for myself. I can make this. I can get this done. It's a call to have faith in the one who's above all things. That I stand firm in the Lord, not on my own account, but I believe in him and I believe in his word. So I have faith and I stand firm in that. It's a, it's a call to power, to stand firm in power. But once again, not our own power, but the power of Jesus Christ. I know that there's some people in here who are strong and powerful. You are not as strong and powerful as our Savior Jesus. When we try to be, live life out of our own power, we are pulling from a depleting asset. 
We are pulling from a resource that can be depleted, but when we stand firm in the power of Christ, he has unlimited power. Some of you are facing trials, you're facing struggles, and you are trying to stand firm in your own power. I have to hold it together. I have to keep this. I, 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 I. I want you to change your idea of standing firm. It's not even about standing. Standing firm in the Lord is about getting on your hands and knees at the foot of the cross and crying out to our Savior saying, I can't do this, but you can. This is what Paul is saying to the church here. It's a call for them that, to finish this race, to stand firm. Paul's victory is this church doing these things. His joy. And then in verse two, uh, verse two it says, I entreat Iota and Suntike to agree in the Lord. Starts with my prize, just like Paul normally does in writing. You're my prize, you're my crown, but here comes the correction. I, I entrust them to you. I entrust and I entreat Suntike and Yoda to you. Iota, oh man, I lost it. Yodia, I almost said Yoda. Yoda, wouldn't that be a twist? <laughs> to agree in the Lord. I entreat means to plead with. Some of your translation is in your scripture in your Bible will say, I plead with you. I plead with you. We know that there's a disagreement going on here. I plead that, that they would agree in the Lord. There's a disagreement that Paul's about to address between these two. Uh, here's where we're gonna get to the unity talk. Can you imagine being in this moment? Paul, Paul has written this letter to the church of Philippi. He's standing in front of the church. You're, he, the whole time we've been reading this passage, I mean, the church is probably fired up. They're probably amening and clapping. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Thank you for the letter. And then imagine being these two characters when you get to this part. part. Hey, I plead with you two in this congregation to agree in the Lord. Can you imagine that moment? How, how like, like, whoa, whoa, don't call me out, Shane. Don't call me out, Paul. Like, uh, this is a moment where he is calling specifically in front of the congregation, calling these two out. They had forgotten. They had forgotten that they had common ground in Jesus Christ. See, these two members of the church had forgotten the greater mission that they were on. And they had allowed preferences and disputes to get in the way. We don't know what exactly it is, but we know it's a big enough deal that it's got them off mission. What does it mean to agree in the Lord as it's put here in this passage? This is the call to unity. To agree in the Lord means to come together, to be in agreement, to, to be of one mind, to, to support and to uplift each other. I wrote down just a couple things that can stop unity in the church can stop unity in us, and can stop unity within the body of Christ. The first thing that can stop unity in this idea of agreeing in the Lord is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will erode at the foundation of unity. Unforgiveness says this in Colossians 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must always forgive. Forgiveness is a key lesson we read throughout scripture. 
Paul is calling the church to unity. And if we want to be a church that models unity, it will come with a heart of forgiveness. When we, when we, when we harbor unforgiveness in our, in our own lives, we harbor unforgiveness maybe with even brothers and sisters in the church, and we don't seek reconciliation, if we don't move towards each other, it, it brings the second thing up that will erode unity, bitterness. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And it's bitterness in us, and it starts to seep out around us. You know what I've, I've realized about bitterness in life? It is hard to enjoy things when you're bitter. It is. It's hard to enjoy the church when you're bitter. It's hard to enjoy life when you're, when you're harboring unforgiveness and bitterness. It's hard. I mean, have you ever been around these people? Like, maybe you're this person. I don't know. Like, it's like you're with a group of friends, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Look at the sunset. And then, yeah, I've seen it before. Probably struggling with bitterness. You know, like, you know, oh my gosh, look at this amazing thing. Like, it probably won't work. Like, it's hard to enjoy things. It's hard to be present. It's hard to see blessing when you have bitterness. Bitterness erodes at unity. And it often leads to the third point, the third thing that erodes unity, jealousy. Woo, jealousy will destroy a church. It will destroy a relationship. It will destroy friendships. Jealousy will erode the foundation of unity. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 3 says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Jealousy can erode unity. Because just like it's hard to enjoy things when you have bitterness inside of you, it's hard to appreciate things and to celebrate others when you're jealous of what they have. I, I, it's funny, my kids are like prime examples of jealousy. Because sometimes they get jealous, they don't even know what they're jealous for. So, like just the other day, one of my daughters walked up to my wife and asked to have like a snack or like a bowl of cereal or something. And my other child, who was about 12 feet away, didn't hear at all what was asked for. Just heard mom say yes. And immediately says, I want some. <laughs> I want some. And I say, what do you want? Whatever she got. Whatever she has, I want it. What, what do you mean? Well, if you can tell me what she has, I'll let you have it. No, I just want what she has. Because I will not be happy if she gets something and I don't. Uh-oh. How often is it like this in the church? It's hard to be unified as a church when we are jealous of others' blessings. And then jealousy leads usually to the fourth point, a self-focus. Something that will erode unity is a self-focus, or what I like to call the cult of me. It's all about me, right? It's hard to be unified as a church when the church is about me. What, what the church can do for me, what the people of the church can do for me, what, what, what the worship can do for me, what the message can do for me, when I am focused on what it is about me, 
it's hard to be focused on others, isn't it? It's all about me. The church is designed to be about us. But if we are not careful, church, we will fall in to a mindset of the church of what can it do for me? What can it do for me? How can it help me? We have to be careful of that. Now I wanna say something. When it comes to unity in the church, if you're taking notes, write this down because I think this is very important. Unity is not the absence of disagreement, but it's the presence of humility. Unity is not the absence of disagreement. It is not that we will never disagree on things, but it's the presence of humility. It's, it's about being humble enough to disagree and continue to move forward. What Paul is calling out in these two, in verse two, is that there's a disagreement that has stopped them from moving forward, that has gotten them off mission. It's not about just agreeing on everything. In fact, I talk about this in the small group Devo this week. How boring of a church would it be if we all just had like the same ideas? No, disagreement is okay when it's approached humbly. I want to ask, when, we, we, when it comes to agreeing, when it comes to humility, it, it really comes down to this idea of, I might not get everything I want, but I keep the focus the focus. Just like I said, church, that these two had gotten off script, off mission. They had lost focus on what Christ had called them to do. I want to just read this passage, and I want to, get, I want to practice a little unity exercise. Sound good? So let me read this passage in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So let's practice unity here. Let's practice a little idea of unity in the church. Now here's the truth. All of us in this building or watching online right now, have different preferences, have different passions, have different wants and different desires. But there is things in the church that we can unify around, is there not? What about this? We are one body. Jesus does not have multiple bodies, he has one body, the church. We are one body, we have one spirit. We were given the same Holy Spirit at salvation. We share one hope, we share the hope of the second coming of Jesus. He didn't stay dead. He was resurrected and went back to heaven and he promises to return one day and take back what is his. We have one Lord. We don't worship multiple gods. There is one God and one on the throne. We have one faith. Our faith is contained in the book known as the Bible. It is the truth and the word that we stand on and build our life upon. We have one baptism. You do not need to be baptized every time you sin. One baptism is sufficient and we have one God. He knows all things, sees all things, and it is in all things at all time. Can we agree on that? Good. There's a little bit of unity. See, it's about keeping the focus the focus. When it comes to unity and what Paul is calling this church to do is to keep their focus on their mission important. To keep things, we might have, I might have done it this way, so I might like Dan's preaching better than Shane's. I, I, might, I don't like this about this. I, we have all these things that are preferences. But he's calling the church to keep the main thing the main thing. 
to keep the mission and the gospel of Jesus the main thing. So how do we develop unity as the church? We've talked about four things that are destructing, destructive to unity, erode at the foundation of unity. We've talked about those four. How do we, as the individual in the room today, what is your role in unity, unity of the church? What are we are called to do? The first thing is this. We are called to pray for one another. Pray for one another. I'm gonna say this with all the compassion in the world. Actually pray for one another. You know what we get guilty of a lot? Someone we meet in the lobby or we're talking to and they got something going on. They're sharing a pain or hurt. I'll pray for you. And then we go on about our day. We see him next Sunday. Oh, I'll pray for you. We, we are called church to, to lift each other up in prayer. We have a prayer team that meets after every service back here that would love to pray with anyone in here who needs prayer. What's your role in this? Pray for one another. But how do you know how to pray for someone if you don't get to know someone? How do you, how do you get unity as a church? Get to know the people around you. Get to know the people around you. Get to know what they're struggling with and begin to pray for them. Love one another. Like authentically love one another. As we pray, we love for one another. And then here's a big one, let go of the past. Let go of the past. How are you gonna develop unity as an individual in the church? Begin to let go of the past. Because some of you have past church hurts. Some of you have been hurt or has some, something has happened within the church and it's, it's affecting the way you're approaching church today. It's affecting how you're connecting with the people around you. It's time to take the step of pursuing unity as a church, letting go of the things, seeking after Christ and, and practicing this idea of letting go and moving forward. We have to let go of things. We have to be willing to move forward in things. And I'm not saying this like, there's things that have happened to you that, that have hurt you. I'm not saying those are okay or justified by any means. But if it is stopping you today from moving forward in what Christ wants you to do in the church, through the church, you have to put in the work of getting at the feet of Christ and pursuing healing, pursuing reconciliation, pursuing this letting go, not letting it control you anymore. Maybe it's letting go of the past of a relationship. Maybe it's letting go in the past of a hurt or a hang-up or maybe someone you hurt. It's time to let go. It's time to move forward. And the last one is this. How do we develop unity in the church? We begin to bear each other's burdens. We bear each other's burdens. My worry sometimes for the church and unity in this idea is that we have developed a mindset that being a member of the church is easy. That we've developed a passion and a pursuit of just having an easy ride in the church. When the church was first put in place, let me 
me share this with you. The early church was running for their lives. The early church needed each other to survive. They were dependent on the other people in the church with them to get through each day. When one suffered, the church would rally around them and lift up the burdens for them because they couldn't hold it alone. What, I, my, what I'm saying here, church, is if we are gonna be a church of unity, we have to be a church that's not just about an easy ride, just having this smooth Christian experience. We should be exhausted. We should be tired. We should be worn out because we are so busy lifting up people around us and supporting them in their time of need. The church isn't called to just be a service or a moment. The church is about seeing someone struggle and say, let me hold this with you. Let me hold this with you. Let me lift this up with you because you are not designed to do this alone. A church that's unified will know each other and know each other's struggles. My prayer for us as a church is that when we struggle, when we go through hard times and we can't hold the things of life, that you would find yourself surrounded by people who are there to hold up your arms when you are weak. When you call out for help, they're there. We are called to bear each other's burdens. And then verse four, I mean, chapter four, verse three says this. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yes, I ask you true companion. He's speaking to a specific person here again in the church. To help these two. To help this other person, Clement, that is named here. Because they had been laborers. They've been laborers in the gospel. They've been laborers with him. And I just want to ask one thing here. I love this end here. It says, whose names are in what? Book of life. This is an important passage. Because proclaiming that their names are in the book of life is proclaiming, Paul is saying that their eternal destination is secure. When you read Revelation, you hear of the book of life and the names that are in it, if their names aren't in it, they are thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Paul is proclaiming that these people that he's calling out publicly in front of the church, calling them to unity, their eternity is secure. They are saved, but they still need to grow. Church, it's the same thing to us today. Paul is calling to us through this passage in Philippians. That yes, we are saved. Yes, we've given our life to Christ. Yes, we, we've, we've asked him to be the king over our life, but it's still time to grow. It's still time to improve. It's still time to wake up and pursue unity and one mind to keep the focus, the focus. Because here's the truth. The devil wants to divide. He's a divider. He wants to split and he wants to divide. He wants to break up every relationship you're in. He wants to divide you. He wants to, <coughs> I told you it was gonna go. He wants to divide you. He wants you to be split, half in, half out. 
He wants to divide the church right down the middle. Because if he can divide the church, he can stop the mission. He wants to divide the relationship between you and your kids. He wants to divide the relationship between his body and the city. He wants to divide. And so it's more important than ever, church, that we pursue unity, that we pursue wholeness, that we pursue closeness in one mind. It's more important than ever that we pursue these things because at the division, his attempts aren't gonna stop. His attempts on your marriage, his attempts on this church, they are not going to stop. It's more important than ever that we pursue the heart of Christ and we pursue unity. So I wanna challenge you with this. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray here to close this out. And as I pray, I want you to think. I want you to seek, seek Christ and ask him a very simple question. Is there any area in my life that I need to seek unity in? Is there any forgiveness I need to seek? Is there any bitterness I need to get rid of? Is there any area in the church with people in the church or, or anything like that that I need to seek unity, humbly? And as we're praying, I want you just to ask him that question. And whatever he reveals to you, let's take steps forward, amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We pray that we would be a church that is unified. A church that is focused on the mission, focused on the, what you're calling us to do, the impact that you're calling us into. That you would reveal in us any areas in us that, that aren't unified. If there's dissent or there's anger or there's bitterness in us, reveal that to us so we can begin to move forward. We ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.